Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Athletes Resource Podcast. Back at it again with a solo episode. Tis I, Pete coming in. So today we're going to be answering a, another listener question, uh, which has something to do with um, the concept of athletes transitioning out of sport. Uh, when to move on, how to deal with loss, how to cope with loss, uh, and pivoting. I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but this is something we do a really poor job of preparing athletes for throughout their quote-unquote career and whatever that looks like that uh, inevitably it's going to come to an end. And I feel compelled to um, share some of my own personal experiences with that. I remember um, this is actually how I, I got into, into CrossFit in the first place. Um, it was uh, 2012. So this was a, I was playing uh, men's rugby, not professionally, but division one. And for people who don't remember around that time, if you're not a rugby player, they had dissolved uh, what was called the Super League in the season before, which was the semi-professional league in the United States. And so those athletes um, basically were now competing on division one teams. And so Division One was really tough, and this was my my last season. My la- it ended up being my last season ever playing rugby, um, and and it isn't interest isn't it interesting? And I'm guessing there's maybe athletes who are going to listen to this. Um, that my career ended up ending when I was at my best. I, uh, you know, the way the story goes, as I remember it, I, um, I had played, uh, so in, in a, usually in a rugby game, there's two games. There's the A game, A side game and the B side game. The A side game is the game that, that counts toward league standings. The B side game is an opportunity for, uh, athletes who weren't starting to get experience, practice. Um, and so for the first time, you know, I was a, uh, I was a regular in the, in the roster on a division one team. It was something I had, I had always wanted throughout my life. And, uh, I had played, uh, during the a side game and I played really well. So, um, it was asked that I play the B side game. I played the B-side game. I historically did not enjoy playing B-side games because I felt like it was not safe. Uh, that it just a lot of the decisions get that get made because people don't know what they're doing put put you kind of at risk sometimes. Um, that's just my opinion. Uh, but it was getting towards the end of the B-side game, and um, I caught a pass right by the try line. So in rugby. 
the you know the term we would use in American football is touchdown. So I was crossing the crossing into the end zone. They call it the try line in rugby. Um, I had a couple people trying to tackle me, and um, some people say they heard a snap. I don't remember hearing a snap, um, but uh, whatever happened, um, I had gotten to the end zone and scored the try. But I I went to stand up. And my ankle was turned the wrong way. And I talked a bit about this on the last podcast, but you know, seeing Dak Prescott's injury a couple of weeks ago was, was tough because it was very similar. Um, and, and it was very scary, of course. And then um, there were points during the pre-surgical process where... I was confronted with waves of grief. They were initially, you know, the the day of the injury at the hospital when I knew when they told me I was going to need surgery. Um, which, in retrospect, of course I would have needed surgery, but I was just ignorant at the time. <clears throat> and then, on one of my car rides home from an imaging appointment, I would I just completely broke down, started crying hysterically because I knew that it was over. Uh, It was over for me because um, I couldn't afford to get hurt again like that. I was a full-time student in a doctoral program. I I also had um, training opportunities I was supposed to complete. And really... Uh, the injury, what ended up happening was I wasn't able to participate in one of my training rotations and it really kind of knocked me back uh, in terms of what I thought was going to be my timeline to getting my doctorate. It ended up taking me more time. And it was a huge loss. It was a loss of engagement and something I felt felt was extremely meaningful. It was a loss because these, you know, my my rugby team were my close friends. You know, still some of them, you know, some of the people I I I am still friends with on the team, some of the best people I know. It was a loss of that social network, a loss of a of a sense of identity. It was a way I dealt with stress. And there was also this kind of fitness piece that I was probably, you know, at that time was the fittest I had ever been. That was a loss too, because I knew it would be it would take it would be a long time before I got back to any level of fitness. Fast forward to summer of twenty nineteen. So I largely recovered from this injury, started doing CrossFit competitively, and I got pretty okay at it. Um, By pretty okay, I mean I was regularly taking the podium at local competitions, not, not, um, didn't really have the bandwidth in my life to invest the time necessary to 
um, reach a higher level and probably am just not a good enough athlete for that, you know, taking a, taking a step back from looking at my own genetics. But in the summer of uh, 2019, training really hard, uh, and then experiencing this freak hip injury, just doing a, a broad jump. And then, you know, going and getting imaging on that. And basically the messaging from um, providers was, uh, this isn't good. You have this genetic deformity in your hip and uh, you probably uh, are not going to be able to compete again. And boy, did I grieve. I mean, probably still am grieving. So why am I, you know, sharing these these personal stories? Because um, when we lose something, especially if we feel like it's being stripped from us or it's being taken away unfairly, there's often a grief process that accompanies it. And... For those who are unfamiliar with the Kubler-Ross model of grief, there are different stages. They're not sequential, let's say, but it goes something like denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And then in different times of our grief process, we, we feel those different feelings and that that's normal. And that in the time when we are transitioning out of sport, we might grieve. And as I say that out loud, a listener might think, well, of course, of course you would, right? But this is what a lot of psychology is. It's, you know, stating the obvious and, you know, and that's what makes it obvious that it's been stated. But yeah, understanding that it's going to be a loss when an athlete realizes that it's time to move on. And what can make it harder is if it's sudden, you know, a sudden injury or something happens in their life where they really have to make a choice between being the athlete and taking care of a family member or working or or something like that. But it's going to be hard. And... You can um, ask yourself, you know, if you can create the space for that to just be okay. It's okay inviting yourself to the possibility of it being okay that it's going to be hard. And, you know, an argument we could make is that a lot of athletes who you see playing past their prime is because they're unwilling to grieve. They don't want to face it. It's too painful. And, and of course, being on, the end, being on the other end of that, that makes sense. It is painful. Also, that doesn't mean there's not things that we can do to not make it painless, but... 
make the process a little less intimidating or create kind of like a like a safety net for ourselves. One of them is another thing we do not prepare athletes well for is getting in touch with who you are. So what do I mean by that? As an athlete, if your whole identity is based on entrenched in being the athlete, that's something you do. It's not necessarily who you are. You're a person first. I know for some people it might be hard to understand that, but, well, maybe it's just my opinion, but I think there, there could be a lot of people out there who agree with me. You're a person first. And why is that important? Well, while, a per, while an athlete is competing, if they're focusing purely on winning and losing, well, winning, let's say, and performance, performing well, that tends to create a lot of pressure. It also tends to create a focus on an outcome which is out of our control. It also tends to contribute to a lot of difficulty with losing and failure because the sense of who we are is being good at sport versus who we actually are as people. So who we actually are is something like this. Uh, I've heard it described as the difference between the little eyes, like I is in the letter I, and then the big I. The little eyes are the things we do. We're an athlete. We're uh, a family member. We're a coworker. We are a, um, a partner. These are the things we do. These are the little eyes. And then there's the big eye. And the big eye is some version of this. If the person who loved you the most was sitting next to you, and we asked them, what do you love about so-and-so the most? So they would be telling you what they love about you the most the three or four things that they say, the things they love about you the most, are typically the big I. And they might sound something like this, for example. You know, they are caring, they are smart, they are loyal, they are funny, they are open, they are creative, they are dedicated, Whatever. Those are aspects of the self that likely will never change. They'll likely never change. And when we orient ourselves to the big I, those things about us that will never change, and we place value in that, during our competitive career, it can free up energy for us to feel less pressure to get the win because our whole self-worth isn't teetering on a win or a loss. Also, when it comes time to hang up the cleats or hang up the, the lifters or hang up 
your whatever whatever footwear you wear that you have a sense of who you are that ideally when we orient ourselves to the big eye it doesn't mean that it's going to be a painless process leaving sport it just means that we have a, a we're able to take a step back and see the bigger picture and again place our emphasis and our energies in something that's constant. The constant is the big I, right? That, that this part of ourselves will never change. Hoping this is making sense. So these are some of the thoughts I have when it comes to transitioning out of sport. The other is, you know, just because you're leaving one sport doesn't mean you can't do another. Right? Especially, you know, if there's a part of your body that stopped cooperating. You know, if, if you can't run in a way that you used to, maybe you can cycle. If you can't cycle in the way that you used to, maybe you can, I don't know, do uh, weight training. Some version of pivoting. Pivoting can also be coaching. Now that that could be tricky for some people because that can feel like a reminder of grief. But it can also feel like a way to stay connected to the community, stay connected to your social network regarding the sport, remain connected to that part of the self that is that will probably remain connected to being an athlete. But there's ways that we can create that kind of parachute for ourselves so that the loss maybe doesn't hit quite as hard. I was just uh, scrolling along the Instagram um, the other day and I saw a, like a quick video of Mike Tyson basically talking about the idea that being an athlete is losing. That it's really critical to understand that training, competing, a lot of it is navigating loss and isn't it interesting how part of navigating the transition into whatever comes next is just more of the same? If during our athletic career we're unwilling to face the reality of loss or we're really struggling with failure, it's probably going to be pretty hard when we actually have to retire. In terms of knowing when we have to retire, that gets a little bit tricky and personal. I personally knew that I, um, I had to retire from rugby because I knew I couldn't afford to get, I couldn't afford another catastrophic injury that was going to knock me out of my professional life. Um, I knew that that was the end. In terms of being a competitive CrossFit athlete, I I knew that, well, first of all, I wasn't making any money from it. So, I mean, what's the, you know, who's paying the medical bills here? <clears throat> not not from any of the competitions I won. A blender bottle doesn't, uh, doesn't work as an exchange for an MRI, at least the places I've got an MRI from. <clears throat> For those who haven't podiumed at CrossFit competitions, 9 out of 10 times you're getting a blender bottle, even though you have 
24 blender bottles in your cupboard, you're getting another blender bottle. So basically you get to um, color coordinate with whatever your fitness uniform is for the day. You grab that blender bottle because you've gotten 45 blender bottles. I'll just keep increasing the amount of blender bottles in these examples to make them more and more ridiculous. But the second time around, um, I knew that my body was trying to tell me something that I wasn't willing to listen to uh, regarding CrossFit of, hey, you know, some version of this, you can't keep doing this the way you're doing it. It's not working. Um, and what gets in the way of that, of listening to our bodies, is when we are stuck in some other pattern. Maybe it's avoidance. We're trying to avoid what it would mean to listen to our body. Another example isn't really coming to mind because I guess that just would be avoidance. Um, but we can, you know, to check in with ourselves, we can just ask ourselves a series of whys. So we're coming up on the, the end of our career. Why do I keep doing this? Why is this important to me? And if we're having a lot of discomfort in our body and our body's telling us it's time, what about this is so important that I am not listening to my body? Just asking ourselves, you know, the series of why questions to start to drill down as to what is our actual motivation here? What is the reason? And... I knew when I asked myself a series of questions like that, really what I was uh, avoiding, let's say, was that my effort to compete was filling some type of void about some sense of inadequacy. That if I thought if I podiumed at enough competitions, that would make me feel good about myself. Newsflash doesn't really work like that. Doesn't really work like that, unfortunately. And so one of the lessons of stepping back from being a competitor is, competitor is you now have the opportunity to do some really good work on yourself and finding out who you are if you're not sure. Because if we're, all, if we're focused on competing all, all the time, it oftentimes doesn't leave a lot of space for different thoughts. Always thinking about what do you got to eat? When do you got to eat it? When do you got to be at the gym? By what time? And to get this much programming done or, or, or whatever. It's a, it's a really self-absorbed experience. And I don't mean that necessarily in, in a negative way, but you're really just thinking about yourself all the time. But not necessarily a way that promotes intrinsic growth, perhaps. Well, I guess that's up for debate. That competing and participating in sport does have a lot of intrinsic growth but there's also this really selfish aspect of it that we're really focused on ourselves a lot of the time so this was a little bit of a of a rant and ramble today however i do hope that it was helpful um please feel free to uh continue to to send more listener questions I love it. 
It gives a great opportunity to to grow content and address questions that a lot of people are dealing with. For example, it's really hard to know when it's time to take take a step back from sport. It's an excellent question. So hopefully I answered it. And if not, let me know that I didn't. It is, I'm recording this on the 24th of November. And so I will wish everyone listening a very happy and safe Thanksgiving. And uh, I should come up with a slogan to end these podcasts. One's not really coming to mind. But uh, hopefully you'll hear from me again before uh, the rest of the holidays. Be well.